Hey y'all, welcome back to a Thursday, April 14th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode here on the program, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. A maybe not gloomy uh, day here in Knoxville, Tennessee, but we'll have to we'll have to see. Um, on today's show, college football. Oh yeah, full ride with fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green. Uh, we talk about uh, teams that had losing records last year that uh, should bounce back to bowl eligibility at the very least in 2022. Some uh, new NIL comments from Nick Saban, uh, JT Daniels transferring to West Virginia. Um, yeah, so it was a fun show here on the full ride. Plus, we got Ken Segura of the AJC who covers the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. So we talked about all things tech football there. Um, Jeff Collins, uh, why this is such an important year for him. Jeff Sims, um, Chip Long being added as OC, uh, changes uh, with the program over the last couple of years, and little Paul Johnson and uh, a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff with Ken. So I appreciate him coming on uh, the podcast as well. Don't forget, folks. You can watch this program. Oh, yeah. We're on YouTube, youtube.com. Type in the Chase Thomas Podcast. That's simple, that easy, and uh, never miss an episode. That way, if you'd like to watch the program, uh, you can also. I have a daily sports newsletter uh, that uh, had a piece go out yesterday about the pivot and what I'm doing and the plan with that and what I want to build with the Sports Renaissance Man. So um, go check that out, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Uh, go ahead, type in your email, become a subscriber today, uh, paid subscriber, preferably, as I uh, pivot and really, really go all in on that along with this very podcast over the next couple months. Um, so yeah, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Sports Renaissance... Ugh, wow, that's a tough thing to say fast. Sports Renaissance Man, that's me. Uh, go ahead and do that today um yeah follow me on twitter at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer don't forget folks if you are listening to this very program and you are an apple podcast or spotify listener and you have not already done so make sure that you hit that pause button and you go ahead and leave this show a five-star rating and a review on apple podcast spotify or your podcast of choice prefer uh player of choice that would be great and uh yeah all right uncle darren let's go chase thomas podcast the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right we're back here on the chase thomas podcast where i am now joined by the three flag man himself matt green fellow university of north georgia alumni matt green good evening sir how are you Good evening, sir. The three flag man. I don't know. Hopefully that nickname doesn't stick. But yeah, you know, I had to uh, change up the shot a little bit. Give uh, mm-hmm. give the misses uh, team some love. We got the Cubs over there. So repping the Georgian Braves, a little, little Cubs action there. I, I actually, you- the, the morning of game six of the World Series, mm-hmm. I rocked my Cubs World Series shirt. I felt like it was like putting putting positive vibes out there like a championship mindset for the braves because when we went we went to a game in wrigley a few years ago and it was Mm. like way colder than we were expecting and i just had to like buy a shirt like right there in wrigleyville but it's a quality shirt i wear it all the time so uh when i'm not rocking my brave stuff i'll I'll rip the cubs a little bit that's funny because i'm kind of in that same boat where the cubs are like i mean not just because i'm a diehard tennessee smokies guy like they just (laughs) um like that's ingrained in the culture now with me but 
um as i never mind i thought i I had to like double check i was like am i wearing the mississippi braves hat right now no um shout out to my guy chase elliott though um no i um i just lost my train oh cups so my great grandmother uh she was a gigantic Cubs fan like she's born and raised atlanta like uh, my great grandfather chuck worked on the atlanta railroad like i am atl railroad to the core was very obsessed with trains <laughs> growing up um it's oh, yeah, probably part train of guy first couple of birthdays were on trains um thomas the tank engine big thomas the tank engine guy <laughs> um could still probably name a preposterous amount of those uh trains those trains and those train sets but um i do remember like so we went up to wrigley field when i was pretty little my dad surprised her for her birthday one year because she like loved watching the cubs on wgn like that was her jam was the cubs on wgn and um we went up there uh and it was i remember going i remember being in chicago i remember riding around uh, i was pretty little but i remember being on the plane um and I said something pretty dubious in the plane, apparently, to my my family. And I don't remember what it was, but it was something about the plane going down or something like that. I said something <laughs> that was just like very kid like like I said something concerning and I forgot what it was. I need to text my dad and ask him yeah, what I this said. This kid's gonna be dark. <laughs> <laughs> like I said something w- like just off. I don't remember what it was though. Um I'll have to ask my dad, but it was fun. And so the Cubs, that's a long way of saying that like uh they also hold a special place in my heart, not just because of the nice. Tennessee Smokies, but because my uh, uh, great grandmother, Catherine, was um, just a diehard Cubs, Cubs supporter. That's awesome. So. Yeah, we got the full experience. Or I should mm. say I got the full experience when I went because like mm. it, it went to like 13 innings this game, like a day game. Mm. And so like by the end of it, we were like literally first row behind the first base dugout like touching the dugout like it was pretty sick and then the cubs won extra innings they played the whole song and everything so it was a got the got the full cubs experience there you go um speaking of experiences matt green do you know where i happen to have stomped around uh last week you stomped around oh i uh i saw your your social media post you were at you were at the uh the alma mater correct I was the first time I took the sports renaissance woman around on the way home uh, that I was like, all right, we're cutting through the mountains. Anyway, we're cutting through Dahlonega and cutting through Gainesville. Like, let's just go through it and let's stop. Um, And we stopped. I realized that, dude, I haven't been there. I don't know if I've been there since I graduated. I'm pretty certain I, I have not really much reason to go after you got a degree. So, right. I saw a little bird the little bird statue what uh was, is that the nighthawk is that nigel so it is am i crazy because that wasn't there when we were there right no, like i'm not it wasn't there when we were there okay because i told her i was like this is definitely new i know this looks old because it's a statue and it looks like it's been here for a long time but i have no recollection of this and i feel like i would have seen this had i uh, been on campus they have a lot more merch though you can tell that like there's so much more University of North Georgia colors and um, brand awareness all across campus. Like all the elevators have UNG like blue and yellow Nighthawk stuff on it. Oh, so is you, that right? Yeah. And every uh, light has the UNG blue and yellow. I and, that. Yeah. So like the brand is a lot more defined now. But I did go in the building in Nesbitt. She loved Nesbitt too. And I walked around <laughs> and Who no one was there. No, so a lot of professors are still there. Uh, Dr. Toker is there. Um, Preston's still there. Marker's still there. 
Uh, JKFJ, though, man, I've got some bad news. He's out of there because there his nah. his office is gone. Merrill's still there, but uh, Merrill, Shields is still there. Been, man. Yeah, but like JKFJ, I don't know where he went to. Uh, I know if he if you're listening, Professor Johnson, reach out. We Matt <laughs> specifically would love to hear from you. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but it was nice. It was nice to go back, and um, a lot still pretty similar. But yeah, it was it was wild. Uh, also, they added a whole new back way for parking, so you can like drive through the whole back of campus now. Um, there's a nice full road, and they were doing like a circus or something in the back. Like there was a fair going on or getting prepared. So that is your University of North Georgia update there here on the full ride on the Chase Moss podcast. If you're a high schooler and you're listening to this podcast in Georgia and you're like, where should I go to school? And it's <laughs> April 13th and you're still wondering, Hey, why not consider the Nighthawks? You can't get wrong with the Nighthawks. Um, Matt Green. Hey, they got enough of our, of our money. They don't need any free advertising here. No, we're always at <laughs> look, Matt, if my long-term goal is to get my name on the Nesbitt building and to replace the Nesbitt sure. building, I will do whatever it takes. If that means uh, shilling for my alma mater, I will shill away. That's that's what I'll do. Um, JT Daniels did something as well, Matt Green. He has been in the portal for a long time. People were wondering. It seemed like it was down to WVU, Oregon State. And where was the other one? He was down to like... Missouri was in the Missouri. Yeah, um, but ultimately he picks Neil Brown and the Mountaineers. So the picture I saw, like someone had this, like he looks like someone who would be the quarterback for West Virginia. So it, he has the look, the stash. Fair, and- he looks like he could be the quarterback anywhere. He's he's played at three major schools now, three different conferences. That's true. That's true. I don't know. I couldn't see him at like a, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't give a strong Ohio State vibe. I don't feel any Ohio State vibe with him whatsoever. Um, well, JT Daniels is a Mountaineer. What uh, I, you know what I love? So Georgia fans, you sent me that tweet that got me off. Uh, you ruffled my feathers with that tweet last night about the the Georgia fan who tried to make this just oh, preposterous the conspiracy theory. Hey, yeah, freezing cold takes put it out there too. Oh my god! Um, just I mean, it was funny. Because he said, like, we'll play with wood bats. It doesn't yeah. matter. And, like, obviously they weren't like, oh, you want to play with wood bats? Well, let's play with wood bats. Yeah. It just kind of happened. That they had a special game with wood bats. But yeah. for them to lose that game, it is it is kind of funny. You got to la- laugh at yourself a little bit. I cannot wait until Georgia comes into town. We got Bama this weekend. But, like, just the beatdowns are continuing and we didn't play half of our team. And that's the other thing is like, when you look at the lineup cards, like we had the meat of our order still in there, but a lot of guys got the night off. It's that random Tuesday night. It's not a series, Tennessee mm-hmm. tech. You're playing in the Smokies wood bats. Like, there are a lot oh, of man. excuses over here. Number There's not one, a lot of excuses. Number, We're the number one team in the country. What's going on here? You gotta, you gotta own it. Well, speaking of owning it. Um, so we, along with the fake UT university of Texas, Austin, uh, joined an elite club because one of the things that I have um, not even just posited, but I have proven on this very podcast. And one of the great things about being a University of Tennessee student and Knoxville resident is that I get to appreciate sports year round at my university because I'm like, <laughs> oh, winter sports still so great. You enjoyed that that fall football season. That was a that was a good one for you. That was incredible. I had an absolute blast. Like this season was so much fun. Tennessee football like this. Oh yeah. It's must see television. We're 
a ratings monster. The games are fun. We put Alabama through the ringer for three quarters. We <laughs> put the Georgia Bulldogs to the ringer for two quarters. Beat Kentucky. Um, I went through and I thought about start stirring some stuff up because I saw some more Kentucky, South Carolina nonsense on Twitter. Um, Cause I just don't engage. I just see it. And I just roll my eyes. And then I was looking at the history. Like, the extent that Tennessee owns Kentucky is actually pretty preposterous. It's um, I just, they're the furthest from my mind and they're coming to Knoxville this year and it's going to be just a wrecking ball uh, through Will Levis and the uh, Kentucky Wildcats. I'm not worried about them. And we own the series like 28, 12, I want to say against the Gamecocks. Like it's just, let's, let's simmer down. We got a long time to, uh, to talk Kentucky, Tennessee. Yeah. Well, that's that's a whole different thing. So the long way of saying that Tennessee and Texas are the only schools, Matt Green, that have been number one because we're number one now in baseball. So number one in baseball, number one in women's basketball, men's basketball, uh, women's softball, men's baseball and football. Just ever have. Yes. Number one at any all. point to be number one in all five of those. How about that? And people joke, they're like, oh, everything's cool. I'm sorry. Did we see, like, there was a Georgia fan who had a weird time in my mentions where I, met, I think I quote to you and said something, everything's cool about something else we did. It was like, oh, what about that uh, football get like the Georgia game or something? And I was like, what are we talking about? Like, what? Uh, we just got Nico. I'm sorry. Is Nico. Uh, I, to be fair, when you say everything's cool. And we're good at everything or that everyone cares the most about they they haven't been good like we think they're going to be good but would you call tennessee in 2021 a good team yes uh, I'd, I'd use the term good above average yes yes i think it's really hard to go from good to great like good to great is extremely difficult where alabama georgia um where oklahoma's been where clemson's been like even notre dame to an extent like it's it's really, really hard to get from good to great. It's easy to get from average to good. It's really I hard think, to. I think good is you at least you're consistently ranked. Yeah, and, and this was a top twenty five team. Barely say they've been consistently ranked over the last what five, six, ten years. When was the last time you could say Tennessee was consistently ranked? I feel like you kind of go have to, have to go back to Phil Fulmer. Hold on, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with that part of it. What I am saying is that as of right now. The way this school's athletic department is built, the coaches we have in place, the AD structure that we have, the money that we have. Like we are in everything school. Like just it's an incubator. Like there's no there's, there's no be, it should be a Chase Thomas drinking game for every time you say the term everything school. <laughs> People might die and I can't be responsible for the uh, alcohol poisoning that would ensue. But no, I mean, we just it just is. And like Carnell Tate's on the way, Kevin Casper or whatever. Kelvin Casper is on the no, way. Things are definitely moving in the right direction. I feel you for sure. But I'm not buying the sweatpants. Like he's got the Nico sweatpants are coming out soon. It seems like they're going to market that. So do you know the story? Behind, have you noticed that he's always playing in sweatpants or no, pajama pants? Excuse I, me. I, it's, I, I should not quit. notice that. So every video, like I didn't know this, but I was wondering, I was like, why is he always in pajama pants? And then every player who played at Farragut over the weekend where Carnell Tate and other guys came in. So a lot of five stars. And um, some some people are saying that Knoxville's the five-star haven these days. But uh, <laughs> you just, put a little, just throw little things in there all the time. Anywho, get, get to where are you go with these pajamas. So he wore them. It was like a, they were at a seven-on-seven tournament um, not too long ago because his dad coaches him in high school. And uh, he, they were down in Miami. I want to say this was an Andy Staples story, which is really good that you should go check out in the athletic. 
Um, but it was a situation where it got too muddy and he didn't have a change of clothes. Like he didn't have backup pads. So he just ran out and diced this team up in pajama pants instead. And then it was just like, all right, I'm just wearing pajama pants from here on out and all seven on seven and all that kind of stuff. So the dude is, uh, he's a marketing whiz, but by all accounts, super nice kid and fun. And you know, things are, things are looking up. He's, uh, just who, like how many times can you say it without the person falling over from alcohol poisoning? We're in everything school. Do you think <laughs> JT Daniels is going to have a good season in West Virginia? Do you, do you like that fit for him? Uh, I absolutely do. I think, um, this, this is the kind of, this is the kind of place I feel like he needed to be like, a not, not a powerhouse, but go to a solid team, a solid conference that like, cause I mean, the, the playing time had to be basically guaranteed, right? Like he's not, he, this guy couldn't be interested in going somewhere and being part of a, a quarterback battle. And maybe, maybe he loses. And now that he's done with college eligibility. So I, uh, I uh, think this is a definitely a good move for, for West Virginia, especially just look at the big 12. It could be a little more wide open than it usually is. So, you know, maybe West Virginia is a, a dark horse in the big 12 next year. I love it. You sent me and I responded to Pitt when they put this out. So we get Keaton Slovis versus JT in the backyard brawl, which is going to be a delight. Two former USC guys. The backyard ball is back, I think, for four straight years, I want to say, which is good. And then I tweeted under pro tip. Just do it. Just do it every year. What do you mean? Every four years. I guess they just announced another four year series, like 2030, 31, 32 and 33 or something. But yeah, it's like. Just do it every you, year. You guys are, yeah, you're huge rivals. Like you want to play, like just play. Like it's uh, one of the best, most marketable games either of you, you two schools have. So I think it'd be a cool, it's cool that we're at least getting it for the next four years. And yeah, to see two USC quarterbacks, former USC quarterbacks, it, it could be an interesting game. Like a sneak, like there's some, there's some sneaky good games on that first weekend this year like there's a couple of like just marquee kind of headline games you know like the the georgia and oregon and i think alabama texas notre dame ohio state but like there's a lot of those sneaky games and i think this is one of them uh pittsburgh west virginia like florida utah it's just kind of like that's gonna be a good one a little you know it's not necessarily one of the headliners but we're just, we're seeing a lot of these good like just power five matchups we don't get to see all the time was there a couple others that you had in mind because now i'm curious without off top of your head um, the I, radar know, games? I don't know if it's the opener. I know Florida State and LSU Ooh. is uh is next year too. So yeah, I, I can't I can't think of any more. Arkansas does Arkansas open with somebody? I can't I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, yeah, there's some, there's some good ones that first weekend. Oh, they got Cincinnati. Arkansas opens with Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. See, that's a good one too. Yeah, I think Cincinnati's going to lose that one um Saban so people it's so interesting like I don't know how Georgia fans are I mean I think they have strong perspectives on Saban Tennessee fans definitely do the SEC just has like Saban derangement syndrome with just anything he says or does and <laughs> I doubt. I've always enjoyed Nick Saban like him and da- I've com- I have very very different takes and perspectives on Dabo and Nick Saban and just the quotes and ideologies and perspective uh, over the last 10 years. I like Saban and I think he's a thoughtful, funny guy, good dude. And I, um, 
when I saw this quote, and I knew people were going to react this way to save and say in this is quote, that creates a situation where you can basically buy players, uh, save instead of utilizing NIL opportunities as an enticement to secure a player services ahead of his arrival at a program. Quote, you can do it in recruiting. I mean, if that's what we want college football to be, I don't know. And you can get also get players to get in the transfer portal to see if they get more someplace else than they get at your place. Okay. The second part he didn't need because it's like, yeah, that's how jobs work is like you put feelers out there and like that's what coaches do too. Like you yeah. will do that to see like, hey, I'm not totally sold on my situation. What could you do for me? That's like, like literally every coach ever does. Like Bob exactly. Stoops, you know, I might go back to Florida. Oklahoma goes ahead and gives him 10 million more a year or something. Exactly. It's leverage. And like there's nothing wrong with that part of it. So I disagree on that front. However, Saban, like, I think people misconstrue. It's like, oh, well, you've taken advantage of this. And he's obviously cleaned up in the portal. It's like, it's rich for the guy who's cleaned up in the transfer portal to complain about the transfer portal or a guy who will clean up with NIL to complain about NIL. And it's like, no, Saban's just a winner. So Saban's going to do what's necessary. Like he brought in Lane Kiffin to adjust his offense where he was like, oh, the way I preferred playing football is not a way that I'm going to win national championships anymore. The way I have to recruit is not the way I used to recruit. So like he adapts and there's a difference between adapting and evolving with the times while also maybe not agreeing with it. So it's like Saban can say that like, I don't think it was outlandish for him to have that perspective and be like, Hey, what do we want college football to be? This is something that is alarming, but he's also just saying, I think all the time, do y'all know what y'all are doing? Because I'm going to clean up here. Like, do, are you sure you want this? Because yeah. Alabama's coming. Like, I'm going to take advantage of this. Do you understand like what you're doing? You're going to give me another way of dominating the sport. So I don't know. I don't really have any problem with people like, oh, it's rich of Saban to do. But it's like, yeah, he's going to do it. But he's just telling you, are we sure you want to do this? Like, I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with what he said. What do you think? No. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you completely. Cause I'm glad you you compared it to the Lane Kiffin's offense because mm-hmm. that's that's what this quote felt like. Like, do we really want to watch college football where teams are running 90 plays a game and all of this? And, you know, and it's like, is this really what we want in our sport? I feel like that's exactly how he phrased it, too. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, well, then that's what I'm going to do. And we're going to be the best at doing that. And so do you guys really want us to just buy players like and just boosters? We can just consistently free agency. Okay, if that's what you guys want, we're gonna go <laughs> dominate and buy all the players. So, I um I think there is some like kind of equalizer when it comes to the NIL among the rich. You know, it's like this isn't gonna make uh, North Carolina or Georgia Tech consistently compete with Clemson's and Georgia's. You know, but I think among the elite programs, among that top tier, I think this could kind of equalize some of the talent among those because it's like they all have big money, but they don't necessarily make the right coaching decisions or right, you know, just certain, certain hires and things like that. So, but they do have the money that they want to spend on the players. So now I I think this could, you know, maybe create a few more contenders out there. So no, I definitely don't have a problem with Nick Saban saying it. It feels like, Every time one of these coaches says anything negative, it's just a, like immediately like, okay, boomer, well, you <laughs> you got to do all this stuff and now you're mad about the players. And it's like, no, it's there is a reason 
why a lot of people prefer college football mm-hmm. to pro football. You know, I don't know that it's, oh, the, these players don't get paid, so I like this sport. Those players mm-hmm. do get paid, so I don't like that sport. It's obviously not that black and white, but there is something that we prefer myself probably you and a lot of other people prefer about college football so you can understand the perspective of this the more this sport looks like pro football kind of the less i like it so it's it's not necessarily a doomsday like like you're you're creating here but i i can under i can at least sympathize for Dabo. he was like because or saban and Dabo because he was the other one recently that kind of you know, talked about, you know, his worries with NIL and everything. And and when Dabo says anything, people are just like, oh, whatever, go ahead and retire already. You know, <laughs> so he might not be the person you want, like giving that message because he's kind of lost some credibility with people. But I think he made valid points, too, and kind of got people kind of overreacted to that. So I, I, I didn't really have a problem with anything Saban said. Yeah, I just it's interesting. Like, I think people are scared. I think there's going to come a tipping point where I think even people in cultural media are nervous about diving into these waters because it's so easy to be quote tweeted and thrown into a anti-player anti-player with anything that might be on the side of a Dabo or a Saban where it's like, okay. And this is something that I think there is a disconnect on Twitter and in social media versus real life that you and I like growing up in the South and talking to folks like part of, why and maybe this isn't even true but like there was this belief that these guys were playing because they loved the game and they loved the university and the the pageantry and like being in that college town and being the same like whether or not that's true it's important and imperative rather for college football to maintain some level of that because that is something that drew these people in to begin with and college towns like it so much of it revolves around the players especially on the football teams in the south and i i think it's good like you see these nil collectives like your guy brock bowers he just signed one with zach Spees, and he's doing charity work for them and doing that like those are good things like giving player like the opportunity for players to do uh to help local businesses because this is a positive like they're helping local businesses they are going in they're using their like they when you sign with not the compliance office um what is it called they're all signing with collectives is what the the buzzword is with these places and when they sign with the collectives like they can book these things for them but it's also something that helps these small businesses that have had really rough last two years due to covid and everything it's like yeah, Nico was at an ice cream shop on Saturday and helping out and doing sign like autographs, pictures. It got people in the store to go shop that may not have been beforehand. So like those are things that were not allowed previously. And we we all disagree with like AJ Green got suspended for that jersey sale and stuff like that. And you look at it and you're like, what are we doing? Like this is it, it was so archaic that it was like, this is this is silly. And if you're a kicker at UCF and you can't kick or you're ineligible because you make money off your youtube uh, that was something a couple of years ago and yeah. you're like what are we even like this is all silly so all of that can be true i also think that nil to speak to your point about it leveling the playing field among power five teams especially is that i am so curious because you're, we're going to need like reporters who just report on contracts and like how this works because i don't know how this is going to like affect the portal. That's what I'm most curious about is that like, 
if you sign a good NIL deal with a university uh, collective, like how does that work when you get out? If you want to enter the portal, you want to put your name, do you have to give the money back? Like how does it, will, will it affect your future collective opportunities if you do transfer? And they're like, oh, well, you transferred your last stop. We're not giving you the same money they gave you. So we don't know. We, we can't confirm and it's less time. Like I wonder if NIL actually does help um not a, kind of uh what's the term um kind of reach the mean or the median here where it's like okay the transfer portal's out of control but nil kind of locks guys back in where it's like all right i signed a a three-year deal four-year deal whatever and i get paid x amount of dollars to be here and do this kind of stuff for three to four years so i'm not getting into the port even if i'm not playing even if i'm not in the best situation i'm not happy about the current situation I'm still, those checks are cashing. So maybe I stay. I think that's something that yeah, would be super just, helpful. And maybe being the the face of, of a local business, you know, yes. maybe that, maybe you, uh, maybe you think twice about some of those questionable decisions a college kid might make because right. you're actually, you know, making some money, doing something, you kind of have a bigger, a mm. bigger purpose. So I could definitely see something with that in terms of like, going back a little bit with what you said of, about, you know, what makes college football kind of better. It's, mm. there's just something about the passion of college football. Like, I think we're, we're all, we're old enough to know now, like every single one of these guys doesn't just love the university and mm. they're not just playing for free. It's, it's essentially an internship. Like you're, you're trying to get to the pros and one of these big schools is the best way to do it. I think before the portal, because the way that pro sports has free agency and everything and players can just go team to team, you you might not just associate a player with one team. But in college, for the most part, a guy spends one year in college or one team spends his years in college at one school. And so you kind of feel like, oh, he's he's a he's a lifelong Georgia fan, just like I am kind of thing. Mm. And, you know, it's yeah, that was a great a great thought and everything. But when you, when you see these players, like at the end of the day, they're, they're not, they're in college for the best opportunity to go pro and the vast majority of them. And they can get a degree at West Virginia. Like they can get a degree at the university of Georgia. So if you, if you claim to be pro player at all, you, you got to think like, yeah, this guy's just doing what's best for his opportunity. Like any other school, any other student in college could do. He, he wants to go to a good architecture program so he goes to a school that has that or you know changes major wants to do something and goes to the school that's best for that opportunity so it it makes sense to have these these players have the same freedom but you you can't understand why you know some people are worried about the future of the sport though yeah and i think it it's so complicated but I just, the people that I talk to, like, I think people are going to keep going to Tennessee games. People are keep going to Georgia games. Like they're not like those schools don't have to be worried. Um, but it's just more of like the Minnesotas, even Georgia tech, man, like Jameer Gibbs has the best season, best player. Um, and he's gone and he goes to Alabama, like stuff like that is concerning. And that's kind of what Saban's talked about too. It's like, yeah, why would a Jameer Gibbs not want to come play for me and enter the portal and do that? If I'm allowed to go talk to these kids and we're allowed to go poach and um, like, hey, your situation sucks. You want to go run behind our offensive line for a year and then go in the first or second round of the draft? Done. 
And that's something like if you're a George Tech fan, you're like, do I even like, I can't get attached to these guys anymore. Like I'm nervous that like, or does our university have the funds to really compete on a big level? Like how much money do I have to donate to the university to get this thing moving in the right direction? Um, is it the haves and the have nots? Like what is, what is the point? Like when you get further and further away from the backyard brawl and just what that is to Pittsburgh and West Virginia fans, when you get further from these guys, like being a part of the university, but also just, it feels like they're bought in with you where it's like, we're going to do whatever it takes for this college town, for this area, for this team to do this in this short amount of time. And it's like, that is ultimately one of it's a loyalty thing. And I think two things can be true. It's okay for the players to do this, but also understand that there is a ripple effect where it's like, man, there's no loyalty in this thing. Kind of like it's a business where there's no loyalty in, in just modern America with corporations. Like people bounce from job to job all the time. Now, like you're moving yeah, around like, and that like mm. Charlton Warren, just as a random example, um, mm-hmm. Georgia DB coach. I'm, honestly blanking on where he is right now mm-hmm. he was at florida for like one year i think he's been a, at four different schools in the last like five six years mm-hmm. like and that's that's his prerogative you know like so you can't hate on you can't just oh, it's cool for a 45 year old man to do that but a 21 year old like 19 year old your decisions need to be permanent like that's just it's a little harsh it just it is and it also hurts the it not company it hurts the sport because ultimately fans want that unfortunately like they want to see you compete like there is something to be said where it's like there it's like oh you enter the portal it's a quitter's attitude like i hear that all the time around here and people are like well that's i think a lot of people just see on twitter where it's like we're all pro player all the time and i'm like man you should talk to some people who pay season ticket prizes and what they say about this kind of stuff where they're like man this is a problem like are we really doing like who, who do we even have on our roster this week? Like Tion Evans can just leave in the middle of the season, just depart. And it's like, what, what just happened? And then he's on Louisville next year. And you're like, people are going to see him on Louisville. And they're like, what is this sport? Like, it's just mass hysteria all the time because you and I keep up with it and it's our job. But like the average fan, man, they're going to like, are your brothers going to be able to keep up with it? Is your dad keeping up with it? Do you think their love of college football is the same as it was 10 years ago? Um, I would say, I would say it is, but, but, um, I think the portal stuff and the the NIL stuff, I just think personally as a, as a fan of sports, I don't really care that much about the contracts in general. So I feel like that's like, people want to have, you know, Oh, whatever he's a, whatever hit to the cap and that kind of stuff. That stuff's just never really interested me personally. And so if I'm having to like learn more about that kind of stuff to follow the college game, that is an aspect that I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily crazy about, you know? So I don't know. I'm all for guys getting their money, doing their thing, but I I don't want the sport to be recognizable. And like you said, with the backyard brawl, like we just have to keep like the tradition is really all college has over pro like the, the passion from the fans, like those traditions, like that's what the college game has. And like we said, if we go into this pod schedule and Georgia and South Carolina aren't playing every year or Georgia and Tennessee aren't playing every year or, you know, LSU and Auburn aren't playing every year like that. The sport, the sport is losing something if, if that's mm-hmm. the case. So 
I hope we don't do anything too crazy. We're obviously Oklahoma and Texas are about to join the SEC. So I we have no idea what's what's on the horizon, but I just hope it still looks like college football. Yeah. I was listening to uh I think it was uh Staples show the other day, but it was something it was interesting where they were like Oklahoma will be fine in the SEC, but like Texas has felt like a Pac-12, like Texas is the same job as USC and people just haven't acknowledged that for a long time that USC and Texas are the same jobs and that Texas should have followed Colorado to the Pac-12 and that's actually <laughs> where they should go and like they would actually do, do a lot better in the Pac-12 had they made that jump there the Oklahoma I, they're like they're, they'll be fine they'll like adapt for the purposes the, yeah. of like TV markets and like just like national interest like if if there was a commissioner that was just kind of oh this would be the most interesting I'll move mm-hmm. this team there Texas to the Pac-12 would have been way more interesting. It's like, yeah. but I don't know, maybe you keep that non-conference game with Oklahoma and yeah, I mean, you probably you do that. Oklahoma and Texas both to the Pac-12. Oklahoma right. doesn't really fit the Pac. They don't feel like they fit the, the culture. Austin yeah. kind of feels like it could fit in the Pac-12. That's yeah. Like so, Austin and LA, it's a, uh, Austin's a vibing young town. Yeah, like it like Austin feels of, like I a Pac-12 town. So, so yeah, I, I, it would be more interesting and they would, probably be way more competitive like they're yeah. gonna be real rattled when they're a couple years in a row when they're the eighth best team in the sec or worse i think it you know what's funny too is i think they'll have better rosters in oklahoma in the sec and i think their rosters are actually more equipped right now to win in the sec but i think it's just for whatever reason what there's just some kind of issue with texas putting it all together because they're gonna have better players than oklahoma in the sec and more more sec friendly players um and i still don't think it's gonna they're they're in for a rude awakening texas well, fans think, are in a, for a rough yeah run. i think we've all kind of felt that, that like texas is gonna get a kind of uh reality shock yeah. or whatever when they get to the sec but oklahoma to be losing lincoln riley like we mm-hmm. brent venables this is an experiment like this is a first time head coach so like if they do have a couple like eight and four type seasons like kind of underwhelming mm. on their way into the sec that could be a dangerous uh, recipe as well. Like they might, they might both not to get off to the same, to the start that they want. Like, but Sarkeesian, like Sarkeesian could have them moving in the right direction by the time Texas is, is joining the SEC. We'll see. I mean, he's got the best, he'll have the best quarterback room. And I mean, if he lands arch that like arch Ewers and Malik, man, like that's just preposterous. Like figure it out. Arch man. is going to Virginia, man. That would be hilarious. No, I would love that. I don't. I. It's crazy to see them as a quote unquote legitimate contender for him. I don't. I don't really buy it, but it'd be wild if he did. I don't that see would... him going to Texas, like Alabama. If I had to bet at the end of the day, I, I would say Alabama. Like I, they with Bryce Young, like the timing seems to work out for him to just come in Alabama and just be the next guy. Like with Georgia, like signing all these like top quarterbacks consecutively. I, I don't. I don't know. It would be interesting to him to go in a room that crowded and same with, with Texas. So we'll, we'll see a lot, a lot more to be said about his recruitment. Yeah. I don't know where I'll go. We'll see. Um, but Nico wrapped up in Malik. Um, uh, wait, is his name not, is it Malachi Malik? Who's the number two quarterback in that class? Yeah. Just Malachi USC. Nelson. Yeah. Malachi Nelson. Yeah. I think that's right. Um, so he went to USC. Uh, last thing, and we'll get into our main event topic here, Matt Green. So this is two competing thoughts because uh, did you see Ed Ordron spoke to Notre Dame this week? I did see that. And he said that they were going to win a title. He's like, I don't know when, but with this coaching staff, y'all are going to win a title. And then you have Brian Kelly this week. 
new coach at LSU said, quote, I felt like I did everything I could at Notre Dame. <laughs> this is just going to be, I, I love that those two quotes came out the same week because there are two completely different camps here. And I think we're on the same side of things where I'm like, I think there's a ceiling at Notre Dame. And I think Brian Kelly was like, there's a ceiling here. And I think uh, Marcus Freeman's number one in recruiter rankings, like as a coach right now in 247, I think they actually have him as the best recruiter in the country right now. They're but right. Um, that's cool. But like, we'll have to see it. And then like here in the national title, I'm like, oh, we're, we're just putting Notre Dame as w- beating an Alabama and Georgia and back to back playoff games are we or ohio state and alabama like that's that's what you're betting on coach order on like that that's what we're doing like first off just get a quarterback can we see you with a heisman type quarterback first like, because until that happens there's no shot like unless drew pine or tyler buckner is a heisman type guy just no shot but i love i i love that kelly said that because that's how i felt where i'm like be careful what you wish for irish fans where i'm like this is the best coach you've ever had. Most consistent. That dude just won and won and won. And he was still like, man, I keep running into Bama. What do y'all want me to do? And people are getting mad at him because they're like, you're not competing with ball. It's like, we're Notre Dame. What are we supposed to do here? It's Nick Saban. It's Kirby in this recruiting bed. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, this is amazing that I'm able to even pull this off year every year. And now Freeman's like raised the bar. Where it's like they're like, oh, Freeman getting the the job. It's like we're gonna recruit even better, and then we're gonna beat these schools. And I'm like, man, I let we'll see, we'll see. Yeah. But I so I have I my doubts. I don't think there's four coaches in college football better than than Brian Kelly. There yeah. might not be three coaches better than Brian Kelly. Like he's he's at the top there, and I I tend to agree with you. Like he he did everything. He, I, well, I agree with him specifically. Mm-hmm. He did everything he could at Notre Dame. It's it's funny because I saw the same uh, Ed Ordron like little clip where he's like, I don't know when, but like you're mm-hmm. going to championship. And then I see ESPN and the headline says Ordron, Irish will win it all. It's <laughs> like, is that what he said? I didn't take it like that at all. Yeah, it sounded like he was being nice. Like you guys got some good players. You're I don't know when you're going to win it all, but <laughs> one day you'll get there. And it was like. Or draw says Irish will win it all. Yeah, but um, yeah, that was just funny to me. But yeah, I I tend to think that Brian Kelly got them to their ceiling, and that's why he's at LSU. Because if they had a higher ceiling, he would have never left. So I agree with that. I I think uh I think Brian Kelly is gonna surprise some people at with how like that all the off season stuff, all the talking stuff, and the 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 voice stuff and the instagram video like people were just hating on him like not, he's not a culture fit and all that he's one of the best coaches in college football once yeah. he starts winning games people will forget about that real quick 100 agree um matt green we're gonna talk about losing teams that are teams that had a losing record in 2021 in college football that we think are most likely to bounce back to bowl eligibility so we each had our list i think we should start with the crossover and then make the case for why we have someone on our list that uh, did not have on someone else's. So yeah, on our list, tough. I, I think of the three I had of mm-hmm. the five, I had three of them did make a bowl game, but did mm-hmm. end up with losing records. So it was, it was tough to find, find five teams that I felt confident are going to be bowling next year that had for sure. Records. 
So the three that we have shared of our five that we made a list for, um, Texas, USC, and LSU. Um, of those three, Matt Green, who who are you most confident bounces back to bowl eligibility in uh, 2022? Between those three, I guess I'll, I'm, I'm basing it a lot of on my opinion of the Pac-12. And mm-hmm. I think, like, I had to look at USC and, like, four and eight last year, like this team, like looking at the schedule, like the talent Lincoln Riley has brought in, like, I don't, I don't like to put the expectations on a first year head coach too high, but this team's got to win at least eight games. Like I would say like playing Utah is in Notre Dame outside of that. Like they, the rest of their games are winnable. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I tend, I, I don't really know. USC is the ultimate X factor. Like they, I, I don't know how long it's going to take them to get where Lincoln Riley wants to go. It's a, you, we've just never seen this sort of transaction happen where mm-hmm. one of the hottest coaches in college football comes to a new school and he also brings his star quarterback with yeah. him. So it's Not even just a star quarterback, a bunch of uh, yeah, transfer yeah, players. Like he brought a bunch like, of people. Yeah. All kinds of things. So I, I tend to think USC is the one I'm the most confident is I, I think they're the, the, the floor seems like it's eight wins. I would agree. I had USC as the, they're the lock for me. Um, whatever the over-under comes out for USC, I'm pounding the over because Caleb, like, Caleb Williams is a Heisman guy, like we think. Then like, there's just, the Pac-12 is so open that like, there's just no path for them not to win eight or nine games at the minimum. Like, I think that's a, and it's different where you're like, oh, we, like you said, you don't want to put so much pressure on a first year head coach, but I'm like, this is so different. And in the transfer era, I think we have to, change how we view first year coaches where i i don't think you get the excuse anymore if you're at a major school like other schools where you're doing like a full-on tear down and rebuild like um there's other schools where i will give the benefit of the doubt there but like if you're going to a school like usc and you're in a like no 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 like you're well, you should start right away because like there we're not going to have this many situations where well who knows what we could potentially have where they're one of the heisman front runners is also joining that head coach, right? So like like a Billy Napier or something, he's at a big time school like Florida, mm-hmm. but he he's the an up and coming coach that that didn't have any Florida level talent. Well, very few Florida level players on his roster that he could bring with him. So right. I don't know if this if we should like change our perception of every first year head coach. I almost wonder if we should bring it back the other way because of the challenge with that the early signing day and the calendar creates for a first year head coach. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you can work the portal and and get some guys year one, but like your first class could just be, you know, just decimated depending on, you know, how the previous guy was doing. So that's I, what happened I, at Tennessee. Still, yeah. So I still worry. I still would caution putting too much pressure on a first year guy. That's fair. I just, he's going to win a lot of games. I would be absolutely floored if Lincoln Riley doesn't. And I think the more interesting one is LSU versus Texas where Texas <laughs> people are like, Oh, they cannot go five and seven again. Like that was preposterous. And they were in like every game. Like they lost some really dumb games late and it wasn't like they were getting the doors blown off them by anybody. They obviously ran with Oklahoma and you, uh, the game against Oklahoma state was just a back and forth, like slugfest. And you're like, okay, like they, if things go a different way, if their quarterback situation goes a little bit different then like Texas 
eight or nine wins was a possibility if a couple different things go their way. Um, I think they're going to be able to bounce back. Big 12's open, but LSU's got so much talent. Brian Kelly is not a guy who's going to like, I, I don't see four and eight again for them. I don't see five and seven, but then you think about it and I'm like, I think we have to just get used to the SEC West every year that there's going to be a team that's super talented that we're, we like, but has just a terrible record one year because the West is so brutal that you're just like, okay, where are the wins coming? Like you can be making progress or you like, it's going to be so easy for a good team to just miss a bowl game one year because like Auburn just went six and six. You saw LSU. If LSU rises back up with Kelly, who's fallen down. Someone's going to have to go four and eight in this division. Like that's how this has to go. So who is it going to be? Is it Pittman? He has a season from hell and they fall back down to earth. Is it um, Ole Miss with Jackson Dart and he's just not good. And Kiffin, they go from 10 wins first time ever to four. Like that has to happen for somebody. So it's like yeah. somebody has to slide down. That's how this works. Everyone can't go nine and three and 10 and two in the SEC West. That's not how it works. So I am so curious to see what Brian Kelly's arrival does for the teams that have been above them. Um, if I'm an Auburn fan, I'm terrified. Yeah, I think LSU, of of my five, LSU was the one I had the least amount of confidence in, hmm. like, definitely getting to a bowl game. Like, because, like you said, if I'm giving them, like, the the automatic wins, if hmm. you will, on their schedule, it, there's, like, three or four. It's like, Florida State is someone they probably should beat. Yeah. But, you know, year one, neutral-sided game, like, I don't know that they're better than Florida state right now. So a a lot of, they just have a lot of those kind of swing games on their schedule that, yeah, LSU could bounce back and be nine and three, but they could also go five and seven. And and I'm not really sure because it's year one of Brian Kelly. Like I'm not holding that against Brian Kelly by any means. It's just a loaded side of the division and we're all leaving Auburn out for dead. Like, who knows? Auburn, Auburn could turn out to, to be a good team in the West too. It's like that's that's a game that you're you're probably considering a win on most teams' schedules. So it's it's tough to find the wins for sure. That's why I I, I feel like if I'm betting, I'm I'm having LSU in a bowl game winning record, you know. But like the over under is probably going to be set at what like seven. Oh, so. that's like high. I will say six, six and a half. And a I'm going to say six. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I think surprised. that came out recently. I'll see if I can find that. Do they already have the odds? Uh, I, I saw someone release something recently because I saw Georgia was like a 11 and a half and Alabama was up there like 11 and a half. Let me see. But uh, uh, you can keep it going. I'll I'll, uh, I'll look it up. Okay. Um. Well, oh, I have it. Right. Uh, well, I thought I had it on the Action Network, but maybe not. Okay. Yeah, here it is. Okay. There, LSU is six. Oh, really? Oh, that's tough. It is tough because their schedule is is not easy, but I would I would take the over right now. I would, but, too, um, because their schedule is, is why we're bringing them up. Well, I think the schedule is weird because it's like the back half is a nightmare for them, but the front half is very doable. Like Florida State at home, Southern at home, Mississippi State at home, New Mexico at home, and then at Auburn. Like they could easily be five and out going into the Tennessee game at home. Um, I think that's very much in play. But then you go to Florida, get Ole Miss at home, you get Bama, you go to Arkansas, a feisty UAB team late in the year where it's like they're super well coached. They're going bowling. Bill Clark's doing great work there. That's not going to be an easy game. You want to get that get right game after Bama and Arkansas in back-to-back weeks, and then you end at AM where they won't be favored. So 
I don't know. I think it could be a really weird up and down, like just a full up, like, oh, LSU's back to like, oh, God, we're not back. We're ending on a bad losing streak type thing. Um, but no, I'm looking it, at this. It feels like it could be like a 2021 Arkansas type team. Like, yeah, they're like a really good team. And you look up and they're, they're, they have four losses because it's just a, a really tough schedule, really tough division. So we got five for Auburn, the least. They have the worst odds in the SEC West. So you've got them at five. Um, and Wimbet, friends of the uh, Blue Wire Pod Network, has uh, LSU at six. They've got Arkansas at six and a half, which is wild. They got Mississippi State at six and a half. They've got Ole Miss at eight. Texas A&M at nine. Bama at 11 and a half. Oof. What do you like the most there? We need to do it. We need to add this up. We're going to do that. Yeah, though, we're, we'll have pod. to get on this at some point for sure. What jumps but, out to um, you of that? Um, well, two things. Arkansas at seven and a, seven and a half, you said? Six and a half. Six and a half. Like, I'm definitely taking Arkansas. I think they're going to be a good team. And I also feel like Ole Miss is going to be a team that disappoints. Like, I'm like everything went right for a for a 10 win season last year like i'm i'm interested to see how Ole miss follows that up i would man until texas a&m proves it i might take the under on nine for a&m that's it's like that's until fair. it happens i'm like i might i'm not throwing the mortgage or serious money but i'm i'm considering it yeah you've uh, seen the new the new kirby mark richt comparison have you seen who it is yes with someone and jimbo it's jimbo and someone for sure the the eight and five master kevin someone i uh i tend to give jimbo a little more credit he did have that uh 10 and 1 2020 season covid year but uh mm. so the only one lost team in in sec history didn't to, to not make the playoff well in the playoff era, the only team to lose one game and not make the playoffs. So that was a, that was a legit team for an entire season, but um, the, the win totals are tough to argue with just like they, just like they kind of were with, with Kirby and Mark Rick, but the fans of that team can tell it's better now, even though True. the, even though the numbers look pretty similar. Yeah. Um. Well, the two teams that we have, that's different. So I have on my list. That's different. I have Southern miss shout out to my guy, coach Will Hall. And then uh, Nebraska, which had a terrible year last year. Mm. They bring in the collective. They bring in Casey Thompson. Um, the I just, I, I'll get into my Nebraska thing in a second. But for you, you have West Virginia now with JT Daniels. And you have Florida, which I thought was interesting. I guess you're a bit like, you're an ant guy or you're a Jack Miller guy. Explain the Florida love because I think, it's actually a sneaky path for them to do this because it, I think it will come down to how they play in Knoxville. Like do they own, do they still own Tennessee even in a down year rebuild year? But it's like, if ants a Heisman type guy and he's just the second coming and he's going to be a star, then it's like, Oh, we have to reevaluate really quick. Or if Jack Miller is Joe Burrow, as everyone has uh, just anointed him potentially, <laughs> Because if you transfer from Ohio State and you're a white quarterback, then that's got to be who you are. Um, I I don't know. I just uh, I thought that was interesting, and I think Neil Brown needs to make progress. That's a program that I think needs to make a step in the right direction. Because Holgerson obviously was not long, and there was some awkward rockiness. But like, dude, still won a lot of games at West Virginia. Rich Rod won a lot of games there. You can win at West Virginia, but you have to be fun. 
Like you watch West Virginia now, they're not fun. Like Neil Brown's playing a very slow ground and pound. Like you brought in Jared Dogie last year, but I don't know. They're a very physical, they're a defense first team. It's very jarring to watch West Virginia these days, but I'm like, I don't, this is not the West Virginia I grew up with, Matt. It's not what I want. No, I hear you. But part of it, part of it is the, like you said, the path both of these teams have. Mm. Like all, we'll start with West Virginia. Like you look at the big 12, like the big 12's just kind of up for grabs. Like I was looking at a quarterback rankings in the big 12, like Dylan Gabriel is the clear number one. And this guy's never played a game in the big 12. So Mm. like, I don't, I think Dylan Gabriel will be one of the best quarterbacks in the big 12, but like, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing ever if that increase in competition and, and he's not quite as good as we thought. So like, for him to be the quote unquote most proven, and then you got like Spencer Sanders. I've seen like number two, like with all due respect to Spencer Sanders, like he's just, he's not very good. Like, mm. Oh, he's the only thing holding Oklahoma state back as, as far as I'm concerned. So, and then Quinn Ewers, like that's a Hudson card. Like you have a huge question mark. Like, obviously you don't really know what you're getting there. Like, like, <laughs> Max Duggan, like he, he was solid. Like he's been good at times. Like I think JT Daniels could come in and honestly be the best quarterback in the Big 12. So I think West Virginia being an actual contender as opposed to just like a solid seven, eight win team is is how good he is. And if he can hold up, like, I mean, the injuries, you can't ignore the injuries. It, it's really just, I guess it's just the two injuries, really, the ACL at USC that it kind of took him a while to come back from. And then the oblique issue he had last year, but he's missed a lot of games. So if he can stay healthy is definitely a big, a big question mark about him. But when I look at just how, how wide open, like they have Oklahoma and Baylor, they're both at home, like some tough road games though. I think next year, like uh, I didn't write them down here, but (laughs) some tougher road games. Uh, I know they have Texas on the road, so it'll, We'll see what how it comes out, how it turns out. But I think West Virginia could definitely be a sleeper. I uh, oh I like Pittsburgh. That pick. That's another one that we we already mentioned earlier. Florida opens with Utah and Kentucky. Like that's not great. Like Florida, I, I just don't like their schedule. So and I was thinking about them as a bowl team. Like it's going to come down to them winning. They're going to have to do. They have to win either two. They have to win two of Tennessee. LSU, South Carolina, and Florida State. So they get South Carolina at home and Kentucky at home, which is good, but they're on the road in Tallahassee in the year. Obviously, the Georgia game, they have to go to AM. Not a great year to go to AM. And LSU at home. So we'll see what they look like. But I don't know. I don't see a guaranteed six win season for Florida. Like, I would be nervous about uh, taking the over for Florida this year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I had like five guaranteed wins on this schedule. I what are the would five? feel comfortable. Um, South Florida, Eastern Washington, Missouri, Vanderbilt. Ooh, is that four? That's four. That's four. That's true. Cause I can't I can't confidently give them Florida State right now. Yep. But South Carolina is at home. Kentucky is at home. Like they could conceivably start one and three with Utah, mm. Kentucky, and Tennessee all in those first four games. But I just, I don't know. I'm kind of, they have a vibe of of kind of like a USC that they're not as bad as their record necessarily indicated last year. It's almost like they just gave up on the coach. 
So I, I, I wonder if Florida is a quicker rebuild than, than some think. And I think their schedule, that's why I had them ranked slightly higher than LSU on my list is because I think their schedule, it's, it's easier for them to get bowl eligibility. Like Utah, Utah's a good team, but let's not act like we're, we're positive on what Utah would do coming down to play an SEC team on the road as well. Like, I think, um, I think that's going to be a really, they've been a, they were a much better team last year. I think you, you would probably say, but with how different the level of competition college football teams play, it's just, it's so hard to know. That's why it's, it's awesome that we're getting so many of these power five, uh, matchups early in the season. But, uh, yeah, Florida, I'm not, I'm not super confident in them, but, um, I think they will go bowling. I I'm not betting on it. I think it's a possibility they go five. They feel like a five and seven team to me, but I could be wrong. I I mean, I hope I'm not wrong. I hope I nailed that one, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I think Nebraska is going to turn some heads for listeners. Like I hope you didn't that's throw good, off the, re- the greatest three and nine team of all time. People are making that joke, but like, that's a part of it where it's like, they cannot <laughs> be that I'm being dead serious. And I think people make jokes about it, but I'm like frost cleaned house. He brought in Mark Whipple, whose pit offense averaged 41.4 points per uh, game this past year. He realized he needed to go outside of the UCF coaching staff that he built um, at uh, in Orlando that went undefeated and all that kind of stuff. But Whipple's a good offensive mind. And the dude, if you pair him with Casey Thompson, he did the same kind of thing last year with Kenny Pickett that like... I mean, Kenny Pickett's probably going number the number two quarterback taken in this upcoming draft. Like, that's a huge get. And I think that was like an under-the-radar offensive change uh, across college football where that was something I circled where I was like, oh, they're serious. Like, Scott Frost, this is a good adjustment by him because that means he's taking his hands off the offense a little bit where he's like, all right, I got to hand it off to someone who can save my job, who I can trust, who is going to put in the production. And I think the greatest three and nine team uh in college football history bounces back like i think that's a real possibility with that i like that they're moving on from adrian martinez who's staying in the co- or i was gonna say stay in the conference because i forget sometimes in nebraska i was the thinking the same thing yeah not, not in the big 12 yeah so kansas state now has adrian martinez where i think that's a great fit for him and what they do so that's good but i mean the biggest thing is they were number 122nd in pass blocking last year. Like that's it. Like if their pass blocking is that bad at all over again in this big 10, where there's just great pass rushers everywhere. I just, they can't do it, but I am a believer in Whipple. I think Casey Thompson's shown stuff and shown stuff at Texas that I'm like, I could see six wins. I think this is a bowl team next year. And I think he keeps his job. I think Nebraska has done enough to, to bounce back. Also a favorable schedule. Mm-hmm. The, uh, from the East, you got Rutgers, Indiana, and Michigan. So not bad. That it could be much worse. So you do have Oklahoma. So mm-hmm. that's not going to be great. But you know, this is not one of the most proven Oklahoma teams we've seen in years. So they could be. This could be a good year to get them, and it, that's a home game as well. So um, you also got Georgia Southern coming to coming to town as well as uh they gotta get you know they're opening in dublin oh, are they still doing with, that uh was it is it with northwestern yeah they're opening um in ireland so who, who your guess is as good as mine for for that opener what what that's gonna do as far as the travel to both those teams but it is a manageable schedule as far as the the big 10 
uh, goes, like as far as the cross divisional rivals they'll get next year. Interesting. Um, well, we'll see. Matt Green, what are we doing next week? That's it. That's all I've got for tonight. What are we doing next week? What's the theme? I've done the last couple of themes. Ah, uh, I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to come up with something. I'll uh, put me on the spot there. I'll have to figure something out. Well, I'm going to leave it up to you next week because I feel like I've done the last couple. I want to see what creative juice doing, you uh you can doing the heavy together. lifting. I got you. I'll come up with something. We'll we'll make it good. I'm excited for the win totals. Like when we do our win totals, because um, I think that's gonna. It's still a little bit too early. I want to see. Like yeah, we need to we wait need, until the summer. That's when we do that. There needs to be just some sort of like universal. We may need a law. I don't even know. Win totals over under win totals have to be at a half game. Like I'm so yeah. I'm so tired of seeing over under seven. Like it's six and a half or seven and a half. We can't. Yeah. None of this pushing stuff. We either it's either a win or a, lo- a loss. So um, that's that's my grind your gears segment. We need we need a hook on all the over <laughs> all the over under win totals. There you go, Matt Green. We can find you on Twitter, Matt uh, Matt underscore W underscore Green. And uh, remember, folks, college is right around the corner for you seniors out there in the state of Georgia. And when you're wondering, <laughs> like, where where can I go and save a buck and also get a great education? University of North Georgia. It's right there. Nighthawks, the alumni. There it is. Nighthawks. He's a peacock. You got to let him fly. Angels in the outfield. Oh, there. That, I was thinking peacock. Like, I'm a peacock. You got to let me fly. I didn't ah, know where you're going. Okay. Um, or or yeah. St. Joe's. <laughs> You know about the St. Joe's mascot, right? He, no. he never stops. Like literally the entire basketball game. But it's <laughs> like he never stops. Like it's literally tradition. But the guy, I feel like, has so little enthusiasm. It's just like, <laughs> all right, this is my job. I just got to keep laughing. You got 40 minutes. Let's do it. Man, I don't. I wonder what Nigel's situation is. Um, I could have seen you beat Nigel at some point during our our undergrad years. I could see you doing that. Um, Matt Green, always a pleasure. And I will talk to you next week. Yes, sir. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am now joined by someone who writes for my hometown local paper, the Atlanta journal constitution that I read this morning. And I still read the e-paper. I'm an e-paper guy. I don't know where most people are. E-paper is so convenient for me where I'm just a like it it moves and I I like the feeling of hitting next where I'm like, all right, I'm making progress. I like the <laughs> where I'm like, I'm on page 64 today and I haven't had to just go boom, boom, boom. That's the sound I make as I <laughs> open through the newspaper. But Ken Segura is here who covers the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Ken, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good, Jason. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Is that the majority of what people do now at the AJC? Is it the e-paper? Is that the... Is that the best way? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, it's growing, certainly, and it's a good product. And I'm glad to hear you like it. I think you know, I, I'm guessing the, the numbers are still on the side of the actual print paper. But I think hmm. the, well, we're doing better, much better with the e-paper and the website in general. Well, folks, if you have not already done so, go support the local Atlanta Journal Constitution. And also, even if you're not a local Atlanta Knight, it's a great paper because it covers more than just Atlanta, but it's also just a lot of stuff that uh, keep you informed and all kinds of great coverage on a multitude of fronts. So I'm glad that that's still a thing. And I'm a big e-paper guy. So I'm glad that that uh, glad that works because when it's complicated, I'm not even going to throw shade at certain newspapers still uh-huh. today that do this. But if it's hard for me to get through the paper, guess what? I'm moving on to the papers <laughs> that I can't. And I uh, that's just all I'll say on that front. Ken, 
um, you cover a Georgia Tech football team that yeah. I think is now entering a very interesting spot. So we saw the first drastic change uh, coaching turnover on Jeff Kahn's staff this right. offseason. Um, there was a lot of excitement, a lot of Waffle House, uh, a lot of, lot of just the 404 was just a strong, like positive vibe pivoting away from Paul Johnson and kind of just the consistent, but there wasn't that same level of excitement. Like the orange bowl was cool, but they were still running the triple option. And it was just like this thing where it's like, there's this ceiling. And then Jeff Collins came in and was like, we're getting rid of the ceilings where it's like, we can, we can do something here. That's different. We can really compete with the George of the world. We can attack the Atlanta market. Like George is obviously a great fertile recruiting ground. Like we can, we can do that. The winds have not come yet. And this was something I was concerned about when he was hired, where I heard this and I'm like, this is fun. You're going to win press conferences. But like the thing about Paul Johnson was like, we can win a lot of football games playing a different way. It's not going to be great. We're not going to win the recruiting, but like y'all are going to enjoy the, at least the wins. We'll beat Georgia from time to time. I just, I am concerned about the direction that Georgia tech football has taken where they're at. Are you just as concerned about Jeff Collins job security uh, heading into 2022? Um, I, I, I certainly think it's, it's, a possibility that this might be his last year if things don't go his way. Um, mm. You know, they've, they've won and you, you give a very good synopsis of, <laughs> of the last 30 years. I mean, there was, I think Paul Johnson record speaks for itself. Mm. Uh, they, you know, they won an ACC title, they won an orange bowl a lot, you know, they beat Georgia, I think uh, three times in, in yeah. 11 years, I guess it was. Um, but yeah, so they, they you know, uh, Jeff Collins has won nine games, you know, three years, Three three wins in each year, and mm-hmm. certainly that raises a lot of questions about what what where they're going to get to. So uh, this is obviously just said a very big year for for he and his staff to to show what they can do. Has his demeanor changed this year compared to when he first got? Have you noticed any changes with how Jeff Collins has approached the press conference? How he's talked with you guys? Like is he is he di- is he different at all? But than what he came in as with just the energy, 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 and we're, we're doing this. Has he changed at all? Ah, uh, boy, that's a good question. I, I think maybe he's a little more toned down. I mean, one mm-hmm. thing that, I, that that's happened since the beginning of last season, like before that he was, you know, on, on Twitter a lot, retweeting stuff and, and, you know, sending out his own tweets and posting videos and so, so forth. And he hasn't done anything in that regard uh, since the beginning of last season. Hmm. Um, which, you know, and, you know, I think a lot of people recognize him like he's a guy that's going to use social media and not to say that he hasn't, I mean, it's, it, you know, he's maybe directing more things than he is actually doing himself, but that's one big difference. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think one thing he said after the season uh, that, uh, you know, struck me was he said something about, you know, less, less branding and, and more coaching. Hmm. So I think maybe what he was saying was that, you know, we, we've got the culture set where we wanted and, and now it's time for us to focus in on, on just the, you know, the coaching players, not to say that he hadn't been doing that, but I think that was his message that, you know, we're going to, I'm not going to be the the front and center guy and, and more, you know, spending more time coaching on the field. And like one thing he said, for instance, was that he was going to spend more time coaching the defense, working with the defense where I'll say that's his strength. That's what he'd done before, before he came to tech, he was a coordinator at, at uh, Florida and Mississippi state. So uh, those are ways that things have been different, a little bit different. Um, and yeah, I, I maybe not uh, as 
know if bombastic is the right word, but certainly, uh, uh, you know, and certainly, certainly still, still very enthusiastic, but maybe yeah. the same way. That's interesting. And I mean, the, the weird thing about tech last year, I mean, it was Pat now obviously let go, gets another job, mm-hmm. but he was kind of a fall guy for the offensive struggles uh, for this past year. But you look at the numbers, it was the defense that stood out to me where I was going through the stats and I, I knew that they struggled. But I didn't realize just how bad Georgia Tech's defense was last year. And we're talking near the hundreds in defensive mm-hmm. efficiency. And it was so it's interesting that you mentioned that like he's now going to have a more hands-on approach to this defense. Is that like it was jarring to see those numbers? Was that something that you noticed week in, week out? Because I I don't know. I just did I knew they were bad, but I didn't know it was that bad. Was that something that you were monitoring all season where you're like, uh, I think folks uh, need to know like this is a problem that Jeff Collins, you might want to take over. It's like the whole uh, Dan Quinn Super Bowl run where it's right. like, all right, I'm going to take over the defense now. This is uh, this is a problem. That's my background. Was that the same thing? Yeah, I mean, certainly just, you know, a lot of big plays given up. And uh, particularly, you know, one thing you saw was that the secondary, which mm-hmm. was, was supposed to be a strength of the team, had a lot of returning starters uh, for different reasons, I think, didn't play very well. A lot, you know, some of it was not a lot of pass rush up front, which – you know, gave quarterbacks time to throw, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I think there was uh, certainly uh, seen the possibility that, that uh, he would like, you know, that Collins would let go of his defensive coordinator also, um, but Andrew Thacker, but, uh, but he kept him and, and I think mm-hmm. they, they made some changes. They, and, uh, you know, they fired two, two, uh, the two secondary coaches and they've, they lost another one, Marco Coleman, uh, who's a defensive ends coach. And so they've, they've remade a lot of things, um, and and I think the hope is that it's going to be better. But uh, but obviously they they lost eight of their top eleven tacklers. I think from last year, huh. um, you know, two of their their two starting defensive ends transferred. Um, so it's you know schematically they may be better, uh, more disciplined, and so forth. But I, you're losing a lot of talent, and so that makes it uh, the challenge really really tough for that side of the ball. You also lost to Shard Choice, who tech guy, and it seemed like he was a really good recruiter, high mm-hmm. energy guy. How big of a loss is to Shard Choice um, to tech staff? I think it's pretty big. I mean, it, it's funny. It was it was December, so it, it's mm-hmm. kind of faded a little bit in the background. But yeah, he, you're exactly what he described. He was a really good recruiter, uh, someone I think the, the kids in the team really liked and gravitated to. He, he did. I think what impressed me about him is that he had a, a really deep room but they all seem to to get along well and and be okay you know they were supportive of each other which doesn't always happen um in a, in a room that's so competitive um and he, you know he certainly brought jameer gibbs he was a lead recruiter for him who's now at alabama um so yeah losing him you know, you're losing a really good recruiter and, and a popular coach and certainly someone that fans could identify with you know him having gone to georgia tech um, so yeah, it's, it's a pretty big loss. They, they hired Mike Dane also, I think is also a very good coach and has, seems to have some of the, the, the traits that Deshar did maybe in a different way, but, uh, but yeah, it's certainly something that, that they, they'll feel, I'm sure. What happened first? I don't, it's been a few months now, like you mm-hmm. said, did Gibbs transfer first or did choice take the other job first? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Gibbs transferred. It happened right at the end of the season. Yeah, Gibbs transferred. He went in the portal, and he ended up in Alabama. And then, okay, I was a, it was right around uh, just before the signing day at the Murray Serves that the Tashar Choice left. It's funny, yeah, he left for USC, but ultimately right. ended up in Texas. 
Yeah, I mean, just that's a tough loss. I mean, Gibbs, we have to talk about because he was the the star of this team this past year. And mm-hmm. it just seems like such a gut punch is this is something that I think we're going to see a lot more in the portal where these programs where it's just like, man, we did something like the one positive thing that tech fans could like latch on to this past year was Gibbs. And you're like, yeah. all right, we can we can root for this guy. It used to be this is someone we can just enjoy. And the Jonathan Dwyer's of the world, the Roddy right. Jones, the shard choices where it's mm-hmm. like, all right, we get this guy for three years before he goes to the NFL and is awesome. Now it's like, well, what about the bigger schools like the right. Bama's in the world where they're like, oh, we can just say all of our guys go in the first round. You can just right. make this. We've seen what you've done at Tech. Now do it here at Alabama. And you're like, how are you supposed to stop that? Like, how are you supposed to stop the poaching? that I think um, is now going to be running rampant across mm-hmm. college sports. Like how rough was that? Are, are readers still just like, man, I just losing Jameer Gibbs is a bummer. Uh, yeah. I mean, certainly when it happened, it, it, it would obviously was huge. Uh, I mm-hmm. think, you know, as I think you start looking more towards next season and, and you don't think about it as much, but certainly, yeah. I mean, he was such a good player and like, I mean, a guy, and, and when we talk about just the challenges going into this year, losing your best player, you know, by, I'd say a wide margin yeah. really hurt someone who, who was, you know, could be a game breaker for you and, and tilt the field your way. Um, they have some good backs still. Uh, they Hassan Hall came in the portal. Uh, Dante Smith, I think, you know, did, did well in his spots, but, uh, but yeah, losing, a, you know, a legitimate first round pick or, or certainly a high pick like that. Someone, uh, you know, was an all American and, could have been kind of like Dwyer and all ACC player of the year is, is, is a huge loss. I mean, not, not just, I think productivity, but you know, just in terms of how, how fans feel about the team and, and just, you know, what, what he could do special teams wise and all those things I think is, is a pretty big loss. What is going to be the biggest stylistic change from Pat now to um, chip long? Uh, you know, I think one thing that chip long is, is kind of been renowned for as he, Runs a lot of two two double two tight end formations, so that's mm-hmm. part of it. I think in the spring you saw that they were trying to get the ball out quickly. You know, in part because I think they may have some challenge with the offensive line. Um, so maybe those, and then actually they're gonna. I think they're gonna play a lot faster. Is, is that's mm-hmm. what he's also emphasizes going. You know, quickly play to play and, and keeping the defense on the field and and you know hopefully winning in a battle of uh, of you know keeping, you know, being with a better condition, less fatigue team on the field. So those are things I think will be different. And they've, and they did some of that with, with Pat Node, um, maybe not to the extent that, that they expect to here, but uh, those would be some of the things I think will be different. Well, they've got a long way to go because Tennessee has uh, already, we've written the book on playing fast. We have, uh, <laughs> we have established what playing fast is, what it's all about. It's George that can try. Uh, Ken, but I don't know if uh, Chip Long can recreate what we were able to recreate this past year. We're moving. I don't it was know a Tennessee you... a few years ago. But, so yeah, maybe that, was, that was before you know the new regime. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's it's interesting. The the you know one thing I remember Paul Johnson saying often is that you know that that style of offense can work, but you know can also play to the your detriment if you if you go three and out in forty five seconds. And your defense up back on the field in, in you know two minutes that that can be a real problem. So yeah, it obviously can work, but it also is is you know, there's a risk reward element to it. For sure. What's the biggest difference? Um, talking with Paul and with Jeff, what what have you found is the biggest difference between the two? Um, you know, I, I think Paul Johnson uh, 
typically said what he thought. Uh, mm. He was, didn't mind being opinionated, didn't mind ruffling feathers. Um, and whereas Jeff Collins, I think, is is he's, he's more about saying, you know, here are my talking points, and he'll kind of reframe questions to to say what he wants to say and, and get his talking points out there. Um, so those would probably be the biggest things. And, and you know, and I think one of those things where, you know, maybe when Jeff Collins has been a head coach for, you know, 20 years or whatever, it, it maybe feel more liberty to to speak his mind. And, and maybe, you know, Paul Johnson, beginning of his career, though I doubt it, was maybe a little more guarded. But, uh, but yeah, those would be the two things or the, the, the differences stylistically that I would, I would notice. Uh, Passner is my favorite. Like I've talked to a lot of college coaches and Josh Passner is like, uh, that is my guy. He, he is yeah. he is so delightful. I I could li- like I would listen to a Josh Passner podcast. I don't know why it doesn't exist yet, but like uh-huh. that dude, he is objectively hilarious and just uh, I don't know why he's not a recruiting machine because I would love to play for Josh Passner just for the halftime press <laughs> conference or halftime speeches just, alone. Yeah. He uh, he's a delight. Shout out to Josh Passner. Mm-hmm. I have not talked to Colin, so I don't really know him as much, but. Um, in terms of Jeff Sims, though, the quarterback position, so you're looking mm-hmm. at that spot going into this year. Um, it seems like he's been there forever now. Jeff Sims, has been, <laughs> it seems like he is a he's in that Reggie Ball zone in right. tech where it's like he's just still. It's like he's still there. Yeah, he's yeah. still there. He's um, got three more well, potentially included this year because of his COVID year. Uh, that's true. Um, yeah, I'm telling you, he's going to be like the decade team at, uh, <laughs> at Georgia Tech. Um, well, what do you what do you make of Jeff Sims? Is he still the guy do you think that there's still a lot of trust in the building that jeff sims can get this thing back on track that he's a good fit for chip Long's scheme like this is going to be a different system than what he signed on for um originally do you think that's a seamless fit or do you think there is a possibility it's not jeff seen jeff sims team by the end of next year um i I would think it's going to be his team um you know they they brought in uh zach gibson who was was Mm. was really really accurate um, maybe he doesn't have the the pop in the arm. Um, and Zach Pyron came in as a freshman, and I think maybe if, they, if things work out, maybe they'll bring in another because they need probably probably need four quarterbacks. Mm. Want to have four, four quarterbacks on scholarship, but but to go back to Sims, um, you know, certainly in two years he's shown all kinds of ability, can make all the throws, throws a nice deep ball. Uh, but you know, and he got better in terms of I think decision making and accuracy. And so I think as long as he keeps making those steps. Um, you know, he'll be the guy. You, you see some things in the spring that that kind of you know, way up being way off on passes. But you know how much of that is, you know, him learning the system and the late receivers learning the system and so forth. But um, but yeah, uh, I guess it's conceivable. But I would I'd, I'd feel like yeah, they're gonna sends me that they're gonna that they're gonna ride. When you look at this schedule, I just I always tell folks where I'm like one of the weird things about tech schedule it's like why are you why do you still have clemson this early like get clemson <laughs> off the early part of your calendar when that's like yeah. the first thing we see is like the beat down from clemson it's like this it's just a morale boot like a de- deflator where i just i would get that off the calendar like i want tennessee and alabama off my calendar uh, at some <laughs> point in my life like let's just stop doing this but like i just i don't understand why they keep playing clemson early like move that down the calendar get this yeah. off the beginning i understand clemson's not gonna be like this forever but We've right. got a decade of evidence that this is not a great way to start. Your season. Um, when you look at this schedule, though, what does it look like to you? Because last year in our previous series here on the pod, I was like, I don't see the wins like this sucks, like because tech could be better. 
yeah. and it just won't show up in the win column because yeah. this schedule. I mean, I think they had the toughest schedule in college football last year, right? Am I misremembering? Uh, it was. It was up there. Yeah, I mean, depending on who you who you ask, but yeah, it was a murderer's row. We were like, if you're a coach trying to break through, it's like that's the antithesis of the kind of schedule you wanted. Right. But when you look at this year, is it does it breed optimism that it's going to be a more manageable schedule than what they had a year ago? Uh, not, not necessarily. I mean, they, as you said, they, they start with Clemson at, uh, and Mercedes Benz. It's, 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 it's interesting. It's, it's technically a home game for Georgia tech, but it's being, it's, I guess being presented as a, well, it is a chip play game. Um, yeah. But so hopefully, I mean, for tech is, I think they're hoping that they can sell more of their tickets than, than, you know, letting them go into Clemson, Clemson hands. But, um, mm-hmm. So there's that, and then they play Western Carolina. It's their FCS game, and then they they Old play Miss, Ole Miss which is oh. rough. Um, at UCF. At UCF. So it's uh, yeah, it's gonna be a grind. And then you know the, I think one thing maybe you hope for is that, uh, let's see here, um, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Miami. Uh, I can I have it in front of me. I can read changed. it. Yeah, I can um, read it. Here we go. All right, we got Clemson at home, or technically home. You got right. Western Carolina, Mitt, Ole Miss at home, on the road at UCF, on the road at Pitt, Duke at home, right. UVA at home, that's good. At Florida State now, that's a wild card. At Virginia mm-hmm. Tech, wild card with Brent Pry. Mm-hmm. Miami at home, don't like that. At UNC, don't like that. And then Georgia, don't. Man, you know what stinks when I look at this too? Uh-huh. Those last three games, that's not like, because you want to, I think part of coaching futures, it, it like how you finish matters. Right. Even yeah. though every game matters the mm-hmm. same, we just have this recency bias yeah. where if they get boat raced by UNC, Miami, and Georgia to close the year, even if they're bowl eligible or they right. have a better start at the beginning. Oh man, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. Georgia Tech fans. This is this doesn't look that much better than last year's schedule. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing you maybe hope is that with so many teams you're playing having new coaches that maybe yeah. some of the I mean, obviously a lot most of them were replaced for because the previous team wasn't doing as well. Though well, I guess Virginia initially wasn't and uh, but anyway, um yeah, so maybe you, you you're you're better some of those teams take a step back and 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 you, you you get some wins, but yeah, it's a tough schedule. Uh, and go, you know, that Florida State being the the rotating uh, co- uh, the Atlantic team is is tough, and being being in Tallahassee even even more so. Um, yeah, and then the two you know beside the two the two non conference games besides Georgia being at UCF and Ole Miss. So uh, that's yeah, that's that's a rough a rough road to hoe. Uh, so I mean, yeah, like like you said, they could be better, and I. I We'll see, but uh, but the, yeah, the schedule may not necessarily cooperate. Do you think it's bowl game or fired type deal for for Jeff? Do you think he has to get six wins? Um, I would think so. I mean, it, it's funny, you know. There's obviously a lot can happen between now and then. And, you know, maybe if they don't, if they get to five, maybe it's switch five. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, certainly to me, when the, the way the season ended last year, that certainly seemed like the the prevailing thought that that he's got to show significant improvement. Um, I, you know, that's athletic director Todd Sainsbury's in his corner. They've made a lot of investments in terms of staff and, and bringing in someone like Chip Long to to help him. Um, but uh, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, but I think yeah, he's he's got to show he's got to show something, and then I, maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's more than that, but. 
but yeah, I, I would think that's, you know, as, as, as I understand it, that's, that's the situation. What's your prediction now that you're looking <laughs> yeah. at the schedule, it's early spring, it's April yeah. 13th. Ken, how many games does the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets or do the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets win this fall? Man. Uh, I mean, I kind of go back to just the fact that it, it's just going to be a, a tough schedule. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, Good for you though. You get to go to Orlando this fall. Yes, I do. Yeah, maybe I'll bring my family. Um, I don't know. I, I I hesitate to make predictions. I don't think it's my business. But mm. um, but yeah, it's, I, I think it'll be. I'll say that it'll be a challenge to get to six. I think, and maybe they, they'll surprise everybody and get there and have a kind of season fans want. But but I think it'll be it'll be a grind for sure. What about Jeff Collins? True or false, Jeff Collins is the head coach when we do this <laughs> podcast on April 13th, 2023. Man, uh, boy, um, I, 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 again, I'm not sure I'm comfortable making predictions like that. I, I think it'll be hard for him to, to, to get to the place where, you know, he, they, they want him to be. I don't, I don't, rule it out from happening. I, and especially, I think, you know, hiring someone like Chip Long and, and if the, you know, the improvements on defense are, are, you know, take, you know, become concrete on the field, maybe things will happen. But yeah, I, I just go back to the, it's going to be, it's going to be tough for, for this team, I think, to, to kind of have the season at once. I, I don't think it's not, it's not possible, it's not impossible, but I think it's going to be really tough. Yeah. I don't know. Um, we'll see. Let's. Uh, I'm hoping for the best for the homes. I, I just. I, I. I'm hoping for the best. Sorry, Georgia Tech fans. I. I want this to to turn the corner. But hey, you never know. Like you said, you still have to play the games. We still yeah. have to see. Chip Long might be the answer at OC. The defense will improve because it cannot be worse than what it was last year. I don't think. So I don't know. We'll. We'll have to see. And this is why you play the games. Um, Ken, what can the good folks check out from you and the great team at the AJC this week? Uh, well, today, um, actually, yeah, well, there's some good news for, for tech. They, the, the, the state's board of regents for the university system approved, um, their plans for a new athletics kind of building, like headquarters. And so mm. it's been a kind of been a, a long time waiting. I think Todd Stansbury has been his hope that something like this will, will lead to more success on the field. Mm. Um, so that's going to happen. That's actually should be up on, online already. And then um, kind of probably continue to look at the, you know, basketball transfer portal stuff. And, and you know, there's always, always something going on with football. So we'll see what happens next. And obviously, yeah, there's – it never really quite stops. So, yeah, I, there's plenty up there pretty much every day. I'm jealous, man. You get to go – like I grew up uh, with my late grandfather going to a lot of Georgia Tech games, uh, baseball games. Is mm-hmm. He went to um, – he went to Tech. And no. that field, like, is just no, – it's the best college baseball venue um just the skyline outside is just 10 out of 10 i miss it i i miss it Lindsay nelson it's not bad it's not bad it's facing the wrong way it's Uh (laughs) it's not really like the best but hey i can't really complain we're number one in the nation so yes um it's a probably trade yeah (laughs) exactly exactly ken thank you so much for making the time today i greatly appreciate it uh you stay safe out there and folks go subscribe ajc.com if you've not already done so ken thanks so much Thank you, Chase. All right, y'all, that'll do it for today's edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you again to Matt and Ken for coming on this edition of the podcast, the April 14th, 2022 edition 
here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, uh, go ahead and leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that would be great. Uh, go subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com. Type in the Chase Thomas Podcast. You'll find it that easy, that simple. Go ahead and take care of that today. Um, and if you're not already, cannot emphasize this enough. SportsRenaissanceMan.substack.com daily newsletter all kinds of great sports content for me um when i'm watching uh some falls coverage uh just a lot of great stuff that you're gonna want to make sure you're subscribed to that you never miss it so go ahead and uh type in uh your email on that front sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com uh follow me on twitter at chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right new episode tomorrow you guys know the drill New podcasts, new stuff every day, new content. Let's ride. Uncle Dare, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.